A number of years ago, probably about 10 or 11 years ago now, I was the youth pastor here at Mount Hope. And my wife's aunt, she called me and she said, hey, I know you're redoing the basement of the church into a youth room. I have an air hockey table uh, that I would like to donate to the youth room. And I said, great. Uh, So she had this townhouse, still has this townhouse in southern Maine. And that's where the air hockey table was. So I grabbed Dave Libby, our facilities manager here at Mount Hope, and the two of us hopped in the church van and we drove up to a Gunquit, Maine, Wells, Maine area. And we got into the house. And one of the things uh, my wife's aunt had said to me before we got up there is she said, oh, and while you're getting the air hockey table, could you please take out the window units out of the second floor bedrooms? And I said, no problem. I had it under control. We're going to drive to to Maine. We're going to get the air hockey table. I'll take out the window units and we'll be all set. I've got it under control. So we got up to Maine and we loaded the air hockey table into the back of the church van. And I said to Dave, before we go, uh, we got to make sure that we take these window units out. And so I walked up to the second floor. Now I should mention to you, that uh, just a few years earlier, I had moved to New England from the Midwest. And I come from a land where pretty much everything has central air conditioning. In fact, I don't think at this point in my life, I was probably 26 or 27 years old. I don't think up until this point, I had ever dealt with a window unit before in my life. But I didn't need to ask any questions or I didn't need to have any help because I had, it, I had it under control. I would get those window units out. So I remember I walked up to that second floor and they had this loft living room area where the first window unit was. And I reached down and I unplugged it from the wall and then I went to take it out of the window. And so I lifted up the window and the second I lifted up the window, I had this sinking feeling that the air conditioning unit that I was supposed to take out of the window was no longer there. And I looked down to watch this window unit falling from a second floor window as it headed towards the deck. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in a moment, I went from feeling totally in control to feeling totally out of control. My guess is you felt the exact same way over the last couple of weeks. That in almost a moment, in almost an instant, you went in our country And our world went from feelings completely in control. Or even if you wouldn't say completely in control, really having our arms wrapped around much of life. And in just a moment, all of a sudden it felt like things were out of control. And the thing I want us to talk about for the next couple of minutes, the thing I'm going to ask you to think about, is what are you and I supposed to do? How are we supposed to react when things feel like they're out of control? We all know what that's like to have things shift on us in a moment. It's like driving a car and all of a sudden pressing the brake pedal and realizing it's not working or beginning to spin and realize that you no longer have control of the vehicle. We all know what that feeling is to have something happen in life that takes us from feeling like we have our arms around it, like we're in charge to being out of control. And the question is, how do you and I, how should we react? And especially if you're watching this, you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're watching this and you're a Christian, how are you supposed to react to feeling out of control? See, here's the reality. The reality is this. It's true for me, and I think it's true for you, is that we like to feel like we're in control. We like this feeling. This is what we want. You and I, no matter who you are, where you're from, we like to feel 
like we are in control of life, like we have our arms wrapped around things, like no matter what's going on in our world, that there's some sense of control in what's going on. And this morning, we're going to look at a man. And we find his story in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 17 and 18, who also liked to feel like he was in control. And you and I, over the next couple of minutes, we're going to watch how he responded to a situation where he was out of control. And we're going to learn something about how to respond in moments like these. If you turn to Judges chapter 17, you're going to meet a man named Micah. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks at Mount Hope, you know that we've been walking through the book of Judges together. And in Judges chapter 17, more than any other place in the book up to this point, we find a world that is out of control. And for Micah, his world is out of control as well. Right at the beginning of that chapter, we learn that his mom, Micah's mother, had 1,100 pieces of silver stolen from her. And I, don't, I, I can only assume that having that much uh, money stolen from you would put you in a situation where you feel like you're out of control. But even more than that, the writer of Judges makes it clear to us that the entire society at the time was spinning out of control. And this is the way the writer says it to us. The writer says this in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And look what he says here. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the judges is saying, the writer of Judges is saying to us, not only does Micah feel out of control because his mom had this money stolen, but the entire world that they live in, the entire society that they live in is lacking leadership and everyone's just doing what they feel like doing. This is a world that is out of control. And when things feel out of control because we like to be in control, the thing that you and I will do is we will do anything that we can to try and regain control. Our first reflex, my first reflex, your first reflex, when you realize the brakes aren't working, the car's spinning out of control, is to do whatever you can to try and regain control. And Mike is no different. This is what he does. He goes and he gets back the money that was stolen from his mom. Those 1,100 pieces of silver, he goes and he steals them back or takes them back. And once he gets them back into his house, his, his mom has an idea and they melt down the silver and they create some household gods. They make some small idols so that they ha- now have gods in their house that will protect them. And then Micah does something that is unexpected but makes him feel safer. He actually takes one of his sons and says, okay, son, now we're making our own faith here, our own religion. We've built these idols. Now I'm ordaining you as priest in our new religion. And so Micah builds these gods and then makes his son priest. But then something else happens that makes Micah feel even more in control in his effort to get his arms back around this situation. And that is he meets a Levite Now, some of you are familiar with the history of the Israelites and God's people, but there are 12 tribes in Israel. And we don't have a lot of time to go into that, but I'll just tell you that one of these tribes was the tribe of Levi, known as the Levites. And the Levites were the priests for the people, the priests of God. So Micah, one day, he meets this traveling Levite. And he asks him, what are you doing? And the Levite says, well, I'm just traveling and I'm trying to find a place to rest. 
And Micah says, well, listen, I started this religion and I ordained my son, but you know, he's not really cutting it here. So what about this? What if I give you a place to stay and I give you a place to live and I provide for all of your needs? Why don't you, Mr. Levite, why don't you come and be the priest in my home? And the Levite agrees to it. He says, that sounds like a fair deal. And now so Micah, who had money stolen from his household and who lives in this world where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, he has his gods in place, his idols in place. He has his own personal priest. And look what he says. Look what he says here. Now that he has this all in place, he says this. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. You see, you and I, we like to feel in control. And when we feel out of control, our first reflex is to do anything we can to regain control. And that's exactly what Micah does here. And isn't that exactly what's going on in our world right now? That things feel out of control. And so we're doing everything that we can think of everything that we know, everything that we can come up with to try and regain control around situations that feel out of control. And it's not just the virus itself and the spread of the virus, but it's the financial impact and it's the family impact and it's the emotional impact, all these things that can feel out of control. We're doing whatever we can. This is our first reflex to try and regain control. But here's the truth about control that I think you and I need to be honest about in this moment. Micah says this, now I know the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. But do you know what, Micah? He's not being honest with himself. Because the truth is, despite all of our best efforts, despite the fact that we like to feel in control, the truth is this, no matter what, you and I, we are never, ever fully in control. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many things we put in place, no matter how many good things are out there, no matter how many steps, the truth is, the truth is about life and the thing that we find over and over and over again in our culture and in world history is this. We're never fully in control. For our guy Micah this morning, he finds that out the hard way. He, he has uh, his idol, he has his priest. And I mentioned to you earlier that there were 12 tribes in Israel and one of them was the Levites who were the priests. Well, there was another tribe and it was the tribe of Dan. They were known as the Danites. And all the other tribes of Israel had settled in a place in the land God had given his people called the promised land at this point. It's about 1300 years or so before Jesus was on the earth. But the Danites, they hadn't found a home yet. They were still wandering around trying to find a place to live. And one day in in Judges 18, you can read about this, 600 men of the tribe of Dan, they come and they happen upon Micah's house and they go into Micah's house and they see the household gods. They see that he has his own personal priest. And you know what their reaction is? These 600 men from Dan, they kind of like this setup. They think Micah has a great setup. And so they make a decision. They're going to take it for themselves. And look what happens. 
This is in Judges chapter 18, verse 18. And when these, that's the 600 men from the tribe of Dan, when they went into Micah's house and they took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image. Now the priest, that's Micah's personal priest, the Levite, he said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be priest of the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and a clan of Israel. And the priest's heart was glad. Look at this reaction. The priest's heart was glad. He's like, you're right. This is a giant promotion for me. He took the ephod and the household gods, all those things that Micah had made out of his mom's 1,100 pieces of silver that were stolen, and he took back, and the carved image, and he went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestocks and the goods in front of them. Micah sets this whole thing up and he says, now nothing's going to happen. I'm in control. God's going to protect me. And it doesn't take long before that whole thing falls apart. And Micah is reminded of a truth. It's a truth that I think right now in this moment, you and I need to be honest about. That despite the fact that we love to feel in control, and that we'll do anything to gain back control. The truth is, no matter what, even after we get through this whole thing, we're never really fully in control, are we? There's this ride at Disney World. It's called the Tomorrowland Speedway. And my kids love this ride because it's the, really the only time in their world that they get to drive a car. They would love to drive our cars, but we're a little bit more responsible than that. And so the only time they really get to drive a car is when we're in a place like Disney World or another amusement park that has a ride like this. And they get to sit behind the steering wheel and actually steer the vehicle. And so the, they love getting in our oldest, uh, our oldest daughter, Caitlin, and our son, Jackson. They love getting in these cars and driving around the Tomorrowland Speedway. But here's the reality, is that even though they're sitting behind the wheel and they feel like they're in control because they have a steering wheel and they're turning the wheels, the truth is, the adult in the car, myself or maybe my wife or whoever's riding with them, is the one pushing the gas pedal and the brake pedal. And the entire time, there's this rail that runs the entire length of the track. So no matter how far they turn to the right or how far they turn to the left, they can never actually go off the road. And so what they have is not control, but what they have is the illusion of control. And here's the truth. No matter how in control you and I feel in this world, all we can ever really have is the illusion of control. And when Micah said, now I know the Lord will bless me because I have a Levite as my priest, all he really had was not true control, but the illusion of control. And so what I, I'm going to ask you to think about here, just stick with me for one more moment and think about this with me. If all that's true, that, that we love to feel in control, but at the, at the very best, even as we try to wrap our arms and build all the right processes and get control of situations, at our very best, all we really ever end up with is the illusion of control. What is the response we should have in moments when we feel out of control? 
See, whenever the illusion of control is made clear, whenever your lack of control is exposed, you have a choice. You can, if you want to, you can rebuild the illusion of control if you want to. And that's how many of us respond in situations where we feel out of control. So we do everything we can and we put everything back together so that we can feel back in control somehow. That's what our friend Micah does. Micah, when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, that's the Danites, they've stolen all his stuff. When they've gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out and they overtook the people of Dan. That word overtook, that doesn't mean that they, that they overtook them physically. That just means they caught up to him. So Micah, he gets on his next door app and he says to all his buddies, hey, they stole my gods and they stole my priest and all his friends get out from their houses and they go running after the tribe of Dan. These 600 men from Dan, I don't know what they think they're gonna do. But they shouted to the people of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away. And what have I left? How then do you ask me? What is the matter with you? And we have with, with, our, with Micah here, he makes this choice that when his lack of control is exposed, he's going to try and rebuild the illusion of control. And we have this somewhat pathetic moment where he gets his, his buddies together, the, guy, the people that live close to him, and tries to run and take his stuff back from these warriors from the tribe of Dan. And whenever your lack of control is exposed, you have a choice. Right now, in our world, we have a choice. We can choose either to only rebuild the illusion of control or we can make another choice. And that is to choose to recognize the truth that no matter what, no matter what we're going through, no matter how unsteady things are, it's to recognize that God is in control. We've been walking through the book of Judges over the last few weeks and over and over again we've, we've talked about this cycle that happens in the book of Judges where God's people are disobedient to God and then they go into this period of discipline where bad things begin to happen and, and they're punished for walking away from God. And then in their distress, they cry out to God and they say, God, would you take this away? And then God, in his grace and in his mercy, he delivers his people. But here's the question. Why is it that after they go through these four stages, over and over again, the people descend further away from God rather than ascending towards God? Wouldn't you think, wouldn't I think, that if people were disobedient and they were disciplined and they cried out to God, God, take this all away, and God did it out of his grace and his mercy, that the people would then ascend towards God? But they don't. Over and over they descend. And why is that? I think it goes all the way back to this point right here of distress. In their moment of distress, the people pray a prayer. God, take this away. Take this, take this punishment away. Take this discipline away. Take these bad things away. And God does it out of his grace and mercy. But when we command God to take things away and he does it, we can be left. We're not careful thinking that we're actually the ones in control. And that's what happens to the people over and over and over again. 
We told God to do something. God did it. We're in control and they descend. So what I want to encourage you this morning, your follower of Jesus Christ, is that in this moment that things feel out of control and we're not sure how things are going to happen and what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. You should pray. But don't only pray, God, take it away. That's not a bad prayer. I'm not saying this is a bad prayer, but I'm saying I'm, I'm asking you to do something different than only pray, God, take it away. Take the opportunity. Take advantage of of the chance that you have right now to go before God and to pray, God, what do you want to say? Not just God, take it away, but God, right now in this moment, as the God who is in charge, as the God who is in control, what is it that you want to say to me? What is it that you want to say to my family? Because right now, People are all over our country and all over our world are wondering what is going to happen. And maybe, maybe for the first time in your life, you're going to turn and you're going to go to God and you're not just going to say, God, would you take it all away? But you're going to say, God, what do you want to say? And for the very first time, God is going to say to you and you're going to hear and listen, you need to give to me full control of your life. Since some of you don't go to church that often, and you're watching this morning because you're looking for hope. There's hope in the fact that I believe that God in his grace and mercy is going to take all of this away and restore our lives in some way to the way that they used to be. But the far more important thing that you could learn right now and that God is saying to you is that no matter what happens in next week or next month, the idea that you are in control or that we are in control is just an illusion. The truth is God is in control. And the best thing that you could do right now is to go before God and give him full control over your life. Some of you, God may say to you, you need to give me control of your life. Some of you come to church every week. God's still saying to you, you need to give me control of your life. You're treating this like some good luck charm, like Micah did. Like, oh, if I go to church, then God will prosper me and nothing bad can happen to me. No, you, God might say to you, you need to give me control over your life. You're home with your spouse, spending time that you don't normally have. What is God saying to you in that? What is he teaching you? You're home with your children, usually six, seven, eight, ten hours a day. They're taken care of by somebody else. Now you're home together. What is God saying to you in that? God has taken away our church buildings. We can't gather anymore the way that we used to. What is God teaching us about who he is and what his church is? You don't know what's going to happen with your finances tomorrow or next week or next month. What is God teaching you about money? You go to the grocery store for things that you feel like you need and they're not on the shelf. What is God teaching you about his provision? If we just pray, God, take it away and make it all the way it used to be. And we don't pray, God, what do you want to say? We are missing a huge opportunity. I had a friend text me the other day and he said this. It's funny how we can all spend so long building something up as a country, a group, or an individual. And in one week, even one day, a virus can all put us back in our place. But let me ask you a question. Are you allowing this to put you back in your place? Because most of us aren't going to do it. 
most of us are just going to say, okay, what do we have to put in place so that we can regain control, regain the illusion? But how wise would we be as individuals, as a church, Mount Hope, as a nation, and as a world to allow this situation to put us back in our place and to say, okay, God, you are in control and we are not. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you that you are always with us. And God, I pray that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, protect us, protect your people, keep us healthy for your glory, protect our finances and our jobs and our families. But God, even as I pray that, I pray that you would speak into our lives. We need to hear your voice. God, you are in control here, not us. And no matter how many good plans we have to get through a virus, God, you are the one who is ultimately in control. So God, what do you want to say to our hearts? What do you want to teach us? Speak to us, Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, we got a couple minutes. I'm glad we have Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, great message. Uh, I know that because I've been watching the chat. And it's been interesting as people give feedback on that. Um, <clears throat> really interesting uh, that we don't usually get as pastors and preachers to be able to see what people respond to. So your Tomorrowland illustration was a big hit. <laughs> um, you may have just ruined the cars for your kids. Yeah, uh, I actually <laughs> thought about that. Caitlin and Jackson, you're still in control. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but that was. Uh, people said, um, one person said the Doyle family said they're getting convicted on their couch <laughs> from, uh, from that one. Uh, another person said it was a great analogy. Uh, so what is it about that analogy that really spoke to you about this idea of, of us thinking we're in control, but not really being in control? I mean, I think that connected with me, but what was that, you know, yeah. what, did you try, what were you trying to bring across? Well, there? you and I were talking about it the other day, right? That if you go back in our country's history or world history, you find these moments over and over again. Where, I mean, you just take like the last century, and whether it's World War I, then World War II, and then, you know, the other conflicts that our nation has gone through, and 9-11, and maybe even the Challenger moment. Like, there's, there's all these moments where all of a sudden it becomes clear to us that, that we're actually not as in control as we think we are, despite our best efforts. And to me, I, I, that was a helpful visual for me to, to say, okay, I, I often can go through my life feeling like I'm the one in the driver's seat, but really God's the one who has control of the gas pedal and the brake pedal, who's, who is, is controlling our movements and control. His plan is at work in spite of anything that happens in this world. So God's plan is not thrown off by this coronavirus. God's plan is not derailed by anything that happens in our world. So we're still on course despite, despite um, whatever happens. And so that was a helpful analogy for me. And then convicting to say, why don't I just take my hands off the wheel and let the person that's ultimately in control, let God, who's ultimately in control, be in control. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, so Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, right? God's right. mission is still on track. Uh, God is, you know, is still working. His kingdom is still coming in the midst of this. Right. We've just recognized that we're not as in control as we think 
we were, right? Right. Um, well, hopefully we're recognizing that. Well, hopefully we're <laughs> recognizing that, right. Right. So a lot of times when we're preaching, I know you and I both use this statement sometimes, <clears throat> don't hear what I'm not saying. Right. And maybe this morning's sermon, we want to be careful, don't hear what we're not saying. Right. We're not saying uh, don't, you know, use common sense, don't be wise uh, with, uh, in, in this context that we're in That's right, right now, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think our chairs are on tape marks eight feet apart, just to be right. safe right now. That's true. Uh, but that, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between making wise decisions, right, mm-hmm. and, 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 and believing in our hearts and minds that we're the one that's in, that are in control. Right. You, you make wise decisions, but the whole time you say, okay, God, I'm going to make wise decisions, but you're the one who's ultimately in control, right? You're right. the one that's we're going to make the best decisions that we know to make, but we're going to trust you the whole way. So it's not an excuse to be unwise or foolish, right? right? Because God's in control. But it, but it is just a recognition that while we're making wise decisions, we're not going to fool ourselves into thinking that we're the ones actually in control here. Right. So finally, I think one thing I heard in what you were saying and just kind of came to my mind is when the context changes around us, it should really change the way we pray. It should affect the way that we pray. Mm. I mean, you said that in your statement, you know, don't just, you know, pray that God would take it away, but pray and ask God what you want to say. And as I look through scripture, you know, I look at when context changes around people, it changes the way they pray. So David, throughout the Psalms, when he goes right. through really difficult times, we read these Psalms of, of heartache and crying out to God. Or other times when David is... Uh, going through a time where he needs to confess. We get Psalm 51, and he's right. confessing and asking God to cleanse him. We see Nehemiah, you know, at a time where he's praying and asking God to help rebuild the city of Jerusalem. We see Daniel. Context changes around him, and his prayers change. And so when our context changes in our circumstances around us, uh, we would be foolish not to let that affect the way that we pray and, and, and how we pray and inform the way we pray. Right. So that's one thing I hear from what you're saying is, is we need to listen to what God wants to say, let it affect how we pray, not just God, take this away, make it back the way it was, but Lord, don't let me miss what you're trying to say in the midst that's of this. That's right. It's just the recognition that, that through David's confession or Nehemiah's wall building or any, like God is work, at work in and through that process. Right. right? He's, he's, his work has not stopped. In fact, I think it's a moment where he's going to do more than he could if life was going as normal, right. if we'll let him, if we'll allow him to. And so his, his work continues even as we await for his deliverance, you know, right. to use the word from the book of Judges. Right. Well, I've got a bunch more on here, but I am glad we have our Tuesday roundtable. I'm going to save some of the stuff on here about the message and questions I have for the Tuesday's roundtable. So if you missed the beginning of the service, Uh, We are starting some online uh, gatherings this week. There'll be Zoom meetings. You'll get an email with the links probably within the next few minutes. And uh, we'll have a morning devotion at 8 o'clock from 8 to 8.15, an evening Just when you feel out of control, things happen this week. Who knows what's going to be announced this afternoon or tomorrow or what's going to happen in the coming weeks. When you look at the graphs of things and it feels out of control, just take a moment and recognize that God is in control no matter what. And worship and honor him in that. And let's worship together as we close this morning. Amen.